When I was a little girl, my grandmother would start her day at the kitchen table with a cup of coffee. And when I would wake up, I would join her at that table and we would talk, we would laugh, and I would listen and I would learn. Sometimes she would talk to her girlfriends and I would soak it all in. They talked about life, they talked about love, but mostly she talked about being ferociously her, being her authentic self in a world that didn't always accept who she was, how she was, or that she was. But she didn't let that stop her. She made shift happen anyway. My granny's not with us anymore, but that doesn't mean the laughing and the learning has to stop. Join me, ladies and gentlemen, at my kitchen table, and let's keep talking shift. You're listening to Talking Shift, the podcast, with your host, Marissa Q. Payne. Talking Shift is a trademarked production of Marissa Q. Payne International, your source for coaching and consulting when you need a major shift in life or leadership. Have bag, we'll travel. <laughs> for more information, visit marissacupain.com. Get you some good friends when you're going through your shift. That's the message here. For now, listen, learn, and laugh with your host, Marissa Q. Payne. Emphasis on at the moment. Welcome back, family, to Talking Shift, the podcast where we get into the nitty gritty of shifts in life, love, leadership, business, and beyond. I'm your host, Marissa Payne, and I am joined today by, hmm, how would I describe our guest today? One of my besties. I'll just say that she is a leader of leader and leaders. (laughs) She's a mom of moms. She's a grandmom. She's a friend. She is a quiet, soft, unassuming, hit you and you weren't expecting it kind of leader. And she's so excited to be here (laughs) to talk leadership with me today, actually. This is a bonus to our introductory series, but all of my people kept talking about the same thing. So I told her she couldn't talk about my personal life. I want you to get to know me in a different light. Um, I have had the pleasure of working with her professionally as well as she's known me for over 20 years. Personally, please welcome to the Talking Shift stage, Melissa Turod. Hi, Queen. Hello. <laughs> I'm here. How's that for an introduction? That was. I know. I'm so grateful. <laughs> Here's what's funny. Every, literally all of the guests that were invited to like, you know, help the people get to know me, all of y'all don't want to be here. (laughs) But I think that's because, you know, in a friendship group, it's only enough room for one. (laughs) Amen. Say that again. (laughs) 
You know, it's only enough room for one of me. The only one of you that was like came willing was my daughter. <laughs> and she is her mother's child. <laughs> the rest of y'all are like kicking and screaming. And I just think that's so hilarious. So I'm just going to get into it. And I'm going to, rather than have you talk about me, I'm going to talk about you. And because... I, like I said, I want to talk about leadership. Um, that's where I spend the most of my time by day, right? And I keep saying by day, but, you know, in general, I work with executives like you and their teams in usually nonprofit organizations or philanthropic organizations. And when I was thinking about that and having the opportunity to have supported you on and off in your role as vice president in an early childhood capacity with a budget of what? Just under 20 million. Yeah. And how many people? Uh, 200 plus on a good day. Yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) When I think about the evolution that I've seen, it takes me back to how we started. So I'm going to tell you how I see you and what I admire about you, even though you're here supposedly trying to talk about me, but I'm flipping the script and I can do that because it's my show. So all right, then (laughs) I'll just sit back and listen. (laughs) So we met in college some moons ago as undergrads and became friends. I think we were in gospel choir together. You eventually joined my sorority. We were in the same dorm, um, like right across the hall from each other. Oh my gosh, fun times. Like just fun times. We should go back and do that again. We should should definitely do that again. Now that I would do mostly like childhood, I would not go back to, but those, those were the good days, the early nineties in a big public university, little brown girl, listen, that freedom. Oh man. So speaking of that freedom, we both got pregnant. (laughs) Oh, so we just diving in. Okay. This is what I'm thinking about you. So we, we both got, I got pregnant. And shortly thereafter, or a little bit thereafter, maybe a year later, you got pregnant. And neither of us were the kind of girls that should get pregnant in college, right? We came as good on a roll, knew we were going to college kind of girls. And so we were victims. (laughs) (laughs) That's my story. I'm sticking to it. (laughs) And that shifted our lives. You became, you eventually dropped out. I dropped out, you dropped out and your life shifted. And you had a few more babies than me after that. Seven. (laughs) (laughs) By the time it was all done. Just a few, just a few. (laughs) And I guess you found career in early childhood Although in college, you worked with young people, period. So like, where did that affinity for youth come from? Ooh, I'd have to go way back. I've always knew that I would do something with youth. 
Um, mm-hmm. I was trying to avoid early childhood, um, thought I was going to mm-hmm. go into secondary education um, and quickly mm-hmm. was reminded that that is not um, my area of expertise, um, but the little ones are. And then mm-hmm. when my life took that turn, all things aligned, right? With seven babies, childcare is a thing that has to be solved. Mm-hmm. And um, so the two worlds kind of merged together. Um, and I was able yeah. to accomplish or support both um, through my career. So tell us a little bit more about that time, career evolution, and your journey to leadership. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Listen, y'all, Marissa knows I do not talk about myself. This is why I was not supposed to be on the podcast today. Um, Whatever. So... You know, as she said, you know, I got pregnant early, um, had baby after baby after baby. And so I had always been a leader. I knew that about myself from early on. Um, And leadership really started to shift for me because my time was needed at home. And so all of the things that I had planned to and thought I would accomplish really had to go to the side for a while because I had humans that needed me and were respons- I was responsible for. But I was very fortunate because I had an amazing tribe that didn't let me forget my purpose, my dreams. And so they were on pause, but they weren't forgotten. Um, and all things worked together. So, you know, as we said, I had a lot of babies and they brought me to where I needed to be. I don't know that I would have found early childhood on my own because in my mind, it was not my, it wasn't, it wasn't my dream at that time. Um, But the circumstances of my life led me there and it was an amazing fit. Um, And I have stayed and been there ever since just working not only for my children, but for all the other little people and busy mamas Mm -hmm. and dads that want the best for their kids while they're also trying to provide for them. I love that. What did you discover, right, with that leadership gift of yours about the early childhood industry? Oh, there's so many joys there, right? Like every day you're touching the future, literally. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is such a sometimes disappointing field. Um, The challenges Mm -hmm. are many. Um, It's undervalued and often underappreciated. And the People that choose to work in that industry um, do it for the love of children. Um, They know that there's often not going to be a claim or fortune um, or any of that. And so knowing that, it was really a privilege and an honor to get to lead in that space and try to make it better um, for Mm -hmm. all people, um, all families, Mm -hmm. all children, all adults. Um, that are involved. You talked about it being undervalued, I think, and yet from a development perspective, it's critical, right, in terms of what's possible. Like children, preschoolers and early childhood, they are sponges. Yes. At that stage, they can learn everything. All things <laughs> all the time, intentional and literally. Unintentional. Yeah, like they don't have the limitations. So, you know, that that happened as a result of 
social norms and peer pressure and all of that at that stage. So that time frame is critical for development. And and so subsequently, the educators, right, that are entrusted to their care, it's more than just a babysitter. It's a it is a critical role. But I think when we think about, you know, like you said, secondary education and things like that, we know teachers are underpaid. Early childhood educators are probably the least paid of them all. For those that need their guidance and instruction the most, right? When you think about capacity, um, as you get into high school and college, you are a self-thinker. Like you can self-motivate, you can go find what you need. Um, Mm -hmm. And those professionals, not to take anything away from them, all educators Mm -hmm. are important, um, but are Mm -hmm. typically at the higher end of the pay scale versus those who are literally have the safety of children in their hands and we train, support, pay them the least. Um, Mm -hmm. For, like you said, a very critical time, right? Like if we wanted to maximize on any age range, that's where it Mm -hmm. needs to start. If that foundation is strong, all things will just continue to... Um, scaffold from there. So you're out of school, but you're, you know, you're working in management, I'm assuming in early childhood. I'm assuming you started to bump up against that education barrier. Right away. (laughs) Right away. (laughs) Tell me about that. Um, That's hard. So even though I love children and I have always worked with children, a teacher was, I didn't ever really have a teacher's heart. I have a heart for teachers, but I was not a Mm. teacher by trade. And that was really the only place I could slide in easily without having my degree. So I was fortunate that because of some of the experience I had built prior Um, that I was able to kind of cajole my way into an entry-level management position where I got an opportunity. Um, Mm -hmm. And that that is where it started. Mm -hmm. Got it. Did you eventually get your degree? I did eventually get my degree. With seven kids? With seven kids. (laughs) (laughs) While working? While working. Uh, And I think that's (laughs) another reason, right? Like my lived experience, that is why I love early educators so much because that is a common story for a Mm. lot of them that they are working caring for their own families caring for other people's children and trying to complete their education so that they can be better equipped to continue Mm. um, to serve and so i know those struggles i know how difficult that that can be um and so i i've I take that challenge to try to ease that burden whenever possible through the work that I'm able to do in my role. But yeah, I did it. So proud that I did it. Not ashamed to talk about it. Um, I talk to my teachers all the time that are like, I can't do it. I don't know how I'm going to do it. And it's like, when it's time, it'll be time. Um, Mm -hmm. And it can happen. I think I was 35 when I finally finished my degree. Congratulations. I think I was... 28, maybe 29, somewhere in there. So yes, I can relate. I only had three kids. I I don't think I would have a degree if I had seven. 
But you know, I, kudos to you, sis. <laughs> well, they were kind of spread out there. So it's not like they were all babies at the same time. <laughs> okay, so you grew up in a smaller town. Oh, yes. Went to college in a another small town. Big, another smaller town. So eventually you made a shift for career. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you, why did you decide to do that? Actually, that was one of those deferred dreams. Um, I had mm. never intended to stay in either of the smaller towns. Um, the smaller mm-hmm. town for school was just the vehicle that I thought was going to get me prepared to move further on. Um, mm-hmm. But with children and family, um, that just wasn't an option at the time. Uh, so as they grew, um, things became a little easier. Um, we didn't need as mm-hmm. much family support. Um, and other opportunities started to open up. Um, and so I was able to recapture that dream um, that I had had so long ago um, of living in a more diverse, um, populated community. I love it. You came to my hometown. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and assumed leadership in a, what I imagine was a larger program than you had experienced in before it was oh my (laughs) I was so let's talk about that you were I'm trying to think and and I'm like asking these questions telling your story because obviously I've been there and I know the story right (laughs) so it's kind of funny but ironically you connected with an organization that I also had had history with. I knew the CEO, the former CEO and had worked in the organization. And so if I'm not mistaken, you were probably one of the first black women, black or black women executives in your organization. Would you agree with I that? I think that's true. Yeah. And I don't know, you know, how how relevant that was or wasn't for you. But, you know, as we know, that that's a big shift to an organizational culture in and of itself, especially when you're coming in and and the and you need to make some shifts. It can be complicated because what you may have, you know, the microscope is on you and changes that may have, you know, ordinarily been done by, you know, a white counterpart are greeted with a little different level of scrutiny um, when you are a person of color. What was that shift like? So that was challenging in a lot of ways, Um, challenging Mm -hmm. and not challenging. I think because of my previous experience all coming from smaller communities, I was always used to being the one or one of a few um, people okay. of color in a space. Um, so mm. for that wasn't a shock for me. That wasn't something I had to adjust to. Um, mm. And I was well-trained and schooled on how to show up and how to communicate and engage in a way that wouldn't ruffle feathers Um, And Mm. I I played that role well. Um, I think what really helped me in that transition um, 
was that the way the organization was structured, um, the organization itself was very diverse. And I was fortunate to be working with um, a portion of the agency that reflected myself. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I quickly was able to find some allies, some safe spaces, um, Mm -hmm. people that were willing to help me understand the culture because I was new. Um, So Mm -hmm. I I felt like I avoided a lot of missteps because of that. Um, That's good. But it it was a transition. It continues to be a transition. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, you actually dropped some really useful nuggets about um, how to successfully onboard a black woman leader, um, executive, mm-hmm. a black executive woman leader. Again, there there are right ways to do it and there are wrong ways to do it, you know? And th- there is a distinction. <laughs> and pretending, you know, colorblindness is the wrong way to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, and I'm, I don't know at this point how intentional that was. Um, mm-hmm. I think, Some of it was just a matter of circumstance, but it was the right circumstance for me. Um, I will absolutely give the organization credit for giving me a lot of space and flexibility Mm -hmm. and figuring it out for myself. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, for example, I had choices from where I worked, um, you know, Mm -hmm. what office, what building, whatever. And so that was great for me. It allowed me to kind of observe some things from a distance um, for a while and not be so enmeshed, um, mm-hmm. which was also very helpful for me as I transitioned in. Yeah. So you've been in your role now, how long? Eight years. Eight years. What are some of the biggest shifts? I imagine you have been a little disruptive in that time period. That is so funny <laughs> to me. I am the least in my in my perspective, I'm the least disruptive person. Like I want things to go as they go. But yeah, yes. I'm, I'm pretty sure they would say I've been disruptive. <laughs> <laughs> because when you embark upon a culture that needs change, right? That disruption is necessary, right? And you came in with a passion for how children are cared for, educated, and when you come into an environment, if if you don't see that, right, yes, it's going to be perceived as disruptive. Yeah. And it mm-hmm. is, right? There's a way to do it. And I think that, you know, at this stage or, you know, it was probably as you, like you said, you kind of sat back for a while and then eventually you reached out, you know, to your friend <laughs> and said, I need a little help. I need a lot of help. I'm pretty sure I said a lot. And I think I begged. I don't think I was to the crying stage with you yet, but I needed a lot of help. Yeah. Talk a little bit, if you can even remember, because I feel like you're at a stage now where the kinds of decisions and shifts that you're making are so courageous and right feels like the right word. You know, um, your organization values equity, equity, 
And, you know, like you said, there were already people that looked like you and and not just, you know, in entry level positions, but throughout, you know, management, which is always important, right? Particularly when you're serving diverse communities, the people that are serving should look like the community that they serve. And I think you came in Mm -hmm. with that. And, you know, it's a tricky industry where, you know, maybe who they had hired based on what they could afford, you know, they weren't necessarily delivering, delivering the quality that you wanted and the expectations weren't necessarily there. Um, so how did you, how did you tackle that? Um, how do you decide how to tackle that and in what order? How did you get it from where it was to where it is now where you're making you know, much more strategic decisions about really being a leader in the space? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think it's a few things. You know, one is taking advantage of opportunities as they come. Um, So there were definitely some Mm -hmm. things that weren't necessarily in my plan um, or they didn't Mm -hmm. fall into the order um, that I thought things Mm -hmm. should go. Um, But as they as they presented themselves, using them to move forward the vision or the agenda. Um, That's good. But I think my initial push, which is where you came in, was that there were some amazing people working there um, that I had the privilege Mm. to work with. But there were, I think I would describe them as skill deficits. Um, Some of it was Mm. lack of experience. Um, Mm. And so the passion was there. Like I could see them and all that they were, but I and they needed help moving. Um, And so, you know, that's really one of the first things you came in and did and just came in and helped provide some of that leadership development, skill development. Mm -hmm. And as that progressed, it helped me to be able to see their capacity and for Mm -hmm. themselves. I think at the time Mm -hmm. I had people coming um, to work with you that weren't necessarily in management. Um, that I thought you need to be, you, you need to be doing something. What you're doing is great, (laughs) but I'm pretty sure I need you in a different position. Um, and so giving them those opportunities and experiences, I think helped them, um, think bigger, um, about themselves. Yes. And I do things a little different. I mean, I don't think little is the right word. Uh, <laughs> I make shift happen. You know, it's a little, it's a little unconventional, would you say? <laughs> well, first of all, friends out there listening, um, Marissa's going to work with everyone and everybody, regardless if they were in your agreement with her or not, including yourself. Um, so if you think you're bringing her into work with your team, be prepared to be engaged also. Amen. Amen. You're like, wait, I hired you to fix them. Girl, they're going to give me data. You hired me to shift the culture. This is true. This is true. And leadership, the leader is a part of shaping 
the culture. So let's let's talk about this <laughs> for sure. I I hate cookie cutter. You know I, I you know I hate cookie cutter solutions to non cookie cutter problems. Right, and I think because I have a unique you know background as social worker, coach, consultant, facilitator. I am able to sort of apply the modality that makes the most sense for for the situation that comes into the room. Yes, you know, as a foundation, there certainly are, you know, interpersonal, intrapersonal skills that have some, you know, context. You can read the book for that, but the application of it, really the shift actually happens every day right on the job when the situation is happening. And so getting to a space where we're in circle time, talking about the real scenarios and the real emotion (laughs) that comes with it, how you're processing it, that's actually how you shift and develop that leadership skill. So then when it comes back up, you know, you've got something you can tap into. There were tears. There a were a lot of tears. Um, yeah. <laughs> but no, I mean, you know, you're so right, is, though, uh, and especially in an organization, which I mean, my organization isn't the largest, but it's a large organization. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. for individuals that have grown up in a culture like that, you learn what to do, what to say, how to show up. And so that comes into play in training and leadership development also. And I think one of the things that you did for us and them is you gave permission for Mm -hmm. the feeling, whatever it was, to be okay Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. and to leverage that um, so that you could be better. Yeah. Yeah. And you wind up with a little bit of, you know, some stay, some don't, <laughs> some grow, some die, yeah. right? That's that's the pain, mm-hmm. right, of the mm-hmm. process. The shift ain't always easy and everyone is not going to make right. it. That's just, you know, that's just the reality. Like you said, you were doing a capacity analysis, a shift, you know, a skills inventory. It's not for everyone. One of the things I, I super admire about, you know, where you all are now is, and that's something we talked a lot about for several years, actually, is how important the role of the teacher is and what progression looked like, right? What promotion looked like. And I think when we first started, like you talked about, you know, going into management was the only way to get more money, essentially, essentially. right? And so that had nothing to do with, like you said, you were a manager when you came into early childhood. You weren't mm-hmm. a teacher. Teachers who come in, not all of them are managers or leadership there, but they can be exceptional teachers. Mm-hmm. But if they want to feed their family, right, they have to leave where they're best served to go chase a capitalist dollar. And that wasn't right. 
So you found a way to do something about that. It's a work in progress, but yeah, I mean, ultimately <laughs> we want, we want people to be where their gifts are. And if mm. you are a great manager, then I absolutely want you on my management team, but I don't want to lose mm -hmm. my best teachers to come and be an okay manager because mm -hmm. you have a family and you're trying to take care mm. of them. And I feel like, and I know that's not just the case in early childhood. There are a lot of industries that are like that, but primarily in ours, um, there mm -hmm. traditionally is not a vehicle um, for a teacher to increase their income in a sustainable way. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, our organization, you know, through our um, commitment to equity, which the majority of our teachers are people of color, um, we've been on this path of trying to figure it out um, and we don't have it figured it out. So I will say that first and we have not yeah. arrived. Um, there's still so much more to do, but yeah, we are really pleased that we have been able to continually really probably since I would say the eight years since I've been there move um, mm -hmm. educator salary forward. Um, and so mm -hmm. we're at the point now where we're, um, just under 50,000 a year. So we're, our goal mm -hmm. is to ensure that they are competitive with school district salaries. And that's yeah. just the first goal. Like I said, we have not arrived yes. because that's not enough. Um, yeah. but it takes time. It's taken eight years to get to this place. And I don't know how long it'll take to get it farther, but our goal is to keep pushing it. Um, wow. Could you have done that? as a first order of agenda when you came in eight years ago? No, unfortunately, you know, a lot of things mm -hmm. had to align for this to be possible now. Um, mm -hmm. I will own that I am a part of that, but I was not the only thing. Um, you know, I have a friend that's always talking about that all the pieces have to come into place, right? The things that need to get there before mm -hmm. you, the things that need to be there with you um, that prepare mm -hmm all the peoples and all of the roles for the change that's coming. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So, you know, it definitely was not just me. The pandemic that we are still trying to get to the other side of had a huge influence. Um, and mm -hmm. really, if that had not have happened, I don't know that we'd be here today. Um, but because mm -hmm. of the impacts of that on the childcare industry in particular, it really mm -hmm. opened a door to allow for things that previously would not have been accepted or tolerated. Mm -hmm. Somebody still had to lead the conversation. I'm okay, just saying. dang. Yes. I happen to know that your team refers to you as oh Melissa gosh, Luther King. Marissa. So you can be modest all you want to, but. <laughs> um, that does seem if to be a nickname that leadership. I'm getting. I... Not quite. It's not bragging if it's true, Queen. It's not bragging if it's true. That is a new emerging. I'm going to say term of endearment. Uh. Um, that I am working to embrace. You know. Thank you so much. Richness, just richness in leadership. So you all, for the record, there is more to Marissa Q. Payne than just relationship transition. Um, I, I, I do, um, I'm a bad 
ass leadership coach. <laughs> I was like, I'm out here now. So it's it's already on its way out. <laughs> right. Just like that. She's not going to let you not acknowledge something. Right. <laughs> Even though before we got on here, I told her. <laughs> wah, 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 wah. Yeah, we, we it take up enough all the space you're supposed to take up. Just don't take over nobody else's space. And and you, my friend, have done a spectacular job. A spectacular job taking up your rightful space. Thank you, friend. And thank you for helping me and my team along the way. Definitely Ooh, couldn't have done it without you. Absolute pleasure. Oh, look, I'm like, I don't know. Well, let's just, they may say Martin, (laughs) Melissa Luther King, but they also say, when's Marissa coming? (laughs) I love it. I love it. I love it. Any, um, I don't, I think you've heard what others have said about me in introducing me to the audience. Anything that you would add, since I didn't give you a chance to talk about big shifts that you've seen in me, I- any anything else you want the people or think the people should know about their podcast host? <laughs> Just do it. Just do mm. it. Regardless of what you think working with Marissa will be like or the outcomes you're hoping to accomplish, it'll be that and so much more. Just just take the dive and start the journey. Um, the end will reveal itself. I absolutely had no idea that when we started with bringing a small group of managers together, it would evolve to this place. Um, but I'm so fortunate um, that, that we were on that journey together. So I, that is what I would say. Um, take all of it, everything that Marissa's going to bring and just know that it's going to work out. It's going to work out for the good, um, for yourself and your organization or your team or your family or whatever aspect that you are (laughs) working, shifting Shifting. with her on. (laughs) Oh, thank you. I did not pay, nor did I ask her for that and didn't know she was going to say that. Thank you, friend. Welcome. The truth is the truth. Facts are the facts. You've been listening to Talking Shift, the podcast with your host, Marissa Q. Payne. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend, like or subscribe for future episodes and leave us a review. Talking Shift is a trademark production of Marissa Q. Payne International, your source for coaching and consulting when you need a major shift in life or leadership. For more information, visit MarissaQPayne.com or follow us in social spaces at Marissa Q. Payne.